Hi, my name is Josh Carlson, and I'm the Associate Director of the Knowledge Center here at Chaddock. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our new monthly podcast series. Each month, we will be interviewing staff here at Chaddock to highlight various aspects of Chaddock's developmental trauma and attachment model. More affectionately known as the DTAP model, we will be delving deeper into the foundations of the interventions we use here to support the children and families we serve. I encourage you to listen closely as Corey Powell, our Director of Education, and I discuss the DTAP model and its use in our school and clinical settings. If this topic interests you, please visit us at the Knowledge Center at Chaddock.com or like us on social media to learn more about additional events and resources. So the purpose of us coming together today is just really exploring um, the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Program here at Chaddock and how Chaddock uses that lens, that treatment model to help support children and families that have experienced um, developmental trauma, uh, trauma exposure, and the impact it has on the attachment pattern between them and their caregivers and, and the adults in their life. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with that, Corey, uh, you're the Director of Education here, you're on the Admissions uh, Committee, Tell those of those individuals that are here with us today, what are some of the things that kids are experiencing, the families are experiencing, behaviors that kids demonstrate that uh, ultimately come to Chaddock? What is what does that typical child kind of look like and what do they demonstrate? Yeah, I think mean, it's probably the number one question I get in my role here uh, at Chaddock is, is what type of kids do you um, take? Uh, it, it's not uncommon for me to be sitting in my office and uh, to get a phone call once or twice a week um, from either a parent or a, maybe a school district administrator or a therapist um, mm-hmm. who says, you know, I came across your program and I've got a child who's just really struggling. Uh, they're exhibiting some behaviors um, and, and I just don't know what to do. We've tried everything. Um, and, and so the bottom line is that we work with students uh, for whom others have exhausted all their resources. Um, you know, school districts that might look like um, they've, they've exceeded, had had exceptional number of minutes in um, uh, counseling services, psychiatric services. Uh, Maybe they had a one-on-one paraprofessional. Uh, Maybe they got some outpatient counseling um, and it's still not seeming to make Mm -hmm. much of an an impact. And so um, that the question we get is is just, you know, I've got this kid that, uh, you know, they're using inappropriate language. Uh, we, We don't understand. We've tried, you know, applying the ABC, the antecedent behavior consequence model, and we just can't figure it out. We just can't um, determine why they're acting the way they are. Um, And and ultimately, we know that behaviors are a way of communication. And so these kids are communicating something through their behaviors. Um, And so when they're being physically violent or verbally aggressive, uh, when they're um, disrupting the classroom to the point where they can't learn and the kids in the classroom can't learn, um, those are the kids that we're working with. uh, And those are the kids who are referred to Chaddock. Okay. so with that, so we, we, we kind of explored the type of individual that comes here to, to get help and support. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, the, the next question is, is what, what has happened in, in these children's lives that have led, led to this point? You know, what adverse experiences have they had? So uh, the National Child Traumatic Stress Network um, really defines trauma as uh, an event or an experience where uh, an individual believes that their life or the life of someone close to them was in, was in danger. Um, 
So that's one uh, definition that we really um, pay attention to here at Chaddock. The next one is um, the concept of complex trauma. And that one is, is much, uh, uh, has much more of an impact than kind of a one-time trauma. Um, simply because it's chronic ongoing, where some traumas like a car accident can be a one-time event. But complex trauma is over the course of a period of time, happens multiple times as chronic. Um, another key piece is that it happens within the context of the caregiving system. So often the, the trauma, the exposure, the abuse or neglect is at the hands of the individuals who are supposed to be caring for them, but are on for tense purposes, a threat to their very existence. Um, and so uh, really the, the, the important piece for us is recognizing that trauma is complex. There's a lot of layers to it. Um, really because all of that stuff, those experiences that, that those kids have, begins to impact their developmental process, mm -hmm. um, especially when those experiences are happening at a huge um, time in the child's life, that zero to five range, when there's so much development um, is happening, uh, that that can be changed and altered. Um, and they really begin to see the world differently and see themselves differently and see uh, caregivers in a different light compared to the average child. Yep. Um, what about the ACEs study? Yeah, hey, that's another thing we look at here at Chaddock and another way we measure um, the impact to which trauma uh, and neglect has uh, impacted our students is to take a look at their ACEs. Um, the ACEs, I, I'm sure most people tuning in um, are familiar with the ACE study uh, done out in uh, California between um, Kaiser Permanente and the CDC. Um, taking a look at abuses and neglect that occurred early in life and how they impact child children's development. Uh, we know now that um, there are significant um, health concerns that, that result out of um, ACEs that have been experienced early in life. Um, for me, you know, we, we take a look at those educational uh, um, aspects of, of how trauma and, and neglect impact students. Um, we know that when the more ACEs a student has, the more likely they are to struggle with literacy. Um, you know, they may not have had the, the, the parents sitting with them, um, reading and, and doing those pre-developmental, um, hitting those developmental milestones early in life. And so, um, there's any number of reasons uh, and, and abuses and neglect that can impact the child and, and their academic development. Um, so we're looking at those as well, Chad. Absolutely. So as, I, as I'm kind of thinking about trauma, complex trauma, adverse childhood experiences, I think for us here at Chaddock, the, the thing is, is the, the, that connection to attachment theory. Yeah. And that those experiences can impact a child's ability to connect to other adults, especially adults that are their primary caregivers. And um, so attachment theory was developed by uh, John Bowlby back uh, in World War II um, and has really had a lot of support and research over the past decades and is really an important lens that we um, use here at Chaddock when looking at how to help and heal children who have experienced complex trauma, have adverse childhood experiences, and how we can help them begin to see themselves differently, see the world as safe and predictable, and see caregivers as uh, trusting adults, caring adu adults, loving adults, people that can meet their needs. 
um, which really kind of brings into what's so special about Chaddock's uh, developmental trauma and attachment program treatment model is that it takes this, this large theory, this attachment theory, um, this lens, and we use that by looking at these, uh, the interventions that fit within this treatment model to really take that theory and put it into action. Take this, um, this idea, this concept of attachment and really began to use uh, interventions, these uh, things that we use on a day-to-day -day basis with, with the kids and families that we work with um, to have an impact. Yeah, you know, I think if, if one thing truly separates uh, Chaddock from the rest of the pack in terms of residential treatment services. It's uh, the way we apply attachment theory to our uh, treatment model. Um, and, and we do that at school. We do it obviously here residentially as well. Um, but trauma-informed schools is is like the buzzword in education right now. And lots of schools are doing some really cool things to address um, the needs of students who have been impacted by trauma. Um, we here firmly believe though um, that particularly when you're looking at complex trauma, as you said, so much of it has to do with uh, relationships between families and the family structure, Absolutely. That, that the attachment piece is huge. And so um, you really can't address one without the other. These things don't happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, this is not a program that, uh, you know, a, a child, you know, was in a car accident and they're having trouble dealing with that and we're gonna fix that and, and help them progress, you know. Um, we're dealing with complex trauma. All the kids that we get, um, you know, a lot of our community kids, they're still dealing with it. They're still going mm -hmm. back every night and dealing with some of this stuff. And so we're teaching coping skills. But but I, I wanted to throw that in that I just I just think that the way we attach apply attachment theory um, here is is what separates us from um, a lot of these new things that a lot of schools are doing. You know, Shadok's been doing this for 20 years almost mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of uh, our developmental trauma and attachment program. So. Absolutely. So when we talk about the developmental trauma and attachment program, it, it's really broken down into to three phases of treatment. And the first phase is that uh, brainstem, you know, the helping a child address the fight, fight or freeze response. Of, uh, of their experience or, or response to triggers or response to external stimuli or internal stimuli of, uh, of you know, am I gonna run away from the situation? Am I gonna become aggressive in the situation? Um, uh, the next phase is really begin to look at how do they, how are they able to cope uh, and manage their feelings? You know, helping them to, uh, expand their ability to express their emotions, to cope with their emotions. And then finally, uh, getting to that cortex um, phase where you know, they have some additional ability to have some um, reflective uh, functioning, um, critical thinking, abstract thinking, um, so they can really start making some connections that cause and effect thinking. So uh, going back down to the, the brainstem, um, that kind of fight, fight, or freeze response, one of the things that we really focus here at Chaddock is the fact that trauma is experienced through the senses. And so when we have to heal kids who have been through trauma, we have to find ways to heal through the senses. And so a sensory rich environment is so key to help um, them develop that capacity to overcome that just initial fight, fight or freeze response. Right. Uh, the next piece is uh, the intervention called TBRI or trust-based relational interaction. Uh, or intervention, and uh, that really goes back to um, that 
<laughs> relationships are primary mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, we, I noted earlier that trauma can impact a child's ability to attach to a caring adult. Well, we want to focus on the fact that there's that disconnect from relationships. We have to acknowledge that we have to reconnect with relationships. And so it's through relationships that true healing can happen. So we really begin this whole process by looking at uh, sensory uh, component as well as relationships. So (laughs) you're the director of education. You're, you know, you said you're kind of the person who's responsible for making sure this is all implemented in a school setting. What does that look like? uh, The sensory piece um, and the, the relationship piece look like in a classroom. Yep. So, you know, as you said, phase one of the treatment model, we're looking at that, the students that are in that fight flight or freeze uh, mode. And, you know, all you have to do is stand at our uh, sidewalk when the kids are getting off the bus and know some of the kids come to us in fight, flight, or freeze. Um, we talk a lot about uh, this idea of shark music playing in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and students, they, we have a couple staff there greeting them off the bus, but as they get off the bus, but you can tell that they're just not, they're not ready. They're not ready for academics. They're not ready for the school day. Uh, maybe they're dealing with something uh, chaotic that's been going on at home. Uh, maybe mom or dad's just been incarcerated. Maybe there was a death in the family. Uh, maybe they're in their third foster placement in, in a month or two. Um, you know, whatever it might be, and there are hundreds or thousands of options. Um, you know, these kids have other things going on. And so our goal in, in addressing that through phase one of, of the treatment model is to disarm the students a little bit, is to um, create an environment that's nurturing and um, welcoming uh, that that just relaxes them and, and kind of grounds them a little bit into the here and now. And so there's some specific things we do. Um, you know, we had the opportunity a couple of years ago to build a brand new school. Mm-hmm. And we did that. You know, it's probably one of the few schools that was just built from scratch with trauma and attachment in mind. Um, and so the, the width of our hallways are a little bit wider because um, we knew that kids need wide open spaces with lots of sunlight. Um, the colors that we chose are a palette that's just a little, it, it's, they're more calming. Um, we, in, we have tons of sensory spaces um, in our classrooms as well as outside the classroom. So um, we have different avenues to meet uh, the students' sensory needs um, so that they can access them both, in, like I said, in the classroom where they can still experience the academic uh, instruction, um, but also right outside the classroom and then uh, in a couple sensory rooms that we have. Um, so. Uh, we're addressing those sensory needs through that. We're also addressing uh, their nutritional needs in a, a way that a lot of schools probably don't. We have a lot more conversations and discussion about uh, food and snacks than probably a lot of schools have. But um, we we feed and we provide nourishment to our students often. We don't want uh, we don't want to get into um, battles over food or, or whether or not it's the appropriate time to eat or not. Right. Things like that. These kids need to know that um, we're meeting their basic needs. Um, and, and only one, when we do those types of things, when they know that we are there, they have a loving adult who's going to take care of them, who's going to meet their needs. Um, it, it, only once they get to, once they get to that point, then they start trusting, and we'll start making more progress therapeutically. Um, but lots of different things that we do um, uh, to meet the sensory needs. You know, we've got uh, our, the bell system that we use is a softer chime. So almost everything we do, we look at through that lens of trauma and attachment. Um, and we ask ourselves, you know, is this appropriate for, for our clientele? 
Um, and then uh, it, you touched on uh, TBRI, and, and the way we summarize that is saying that relationships are primary in Jetta. Um, and we start that with the hiring process. Uh, the truth is, uh, you know, we've got staff that just have a heart for this work and they want to help these kids. And um, relationships are, they value the relationship and, and then that comes first. And so uh, when you surround the students with staff who are high relationship, um, that, that aren't going to let them push them away. Right. Uh, and, and whenever they try to push away, they pull them closer. Um, that's when we really start to see some progress. Absolutely. So once we, once we help a child improve their ability to manage that fight, fight or freeze response, we're, we're building relationships, we're meeting their sensory needs, then we can kind of go into that mid, midbrain, the limbic system, helping them a, uh, be better at coping with and managing their thoughts or their feelings and managing those emotions. And there's two interventions that are really kind of in that phase, which is a therapy and didactic developmental psychotherapy or DDP. And just, you know, want to note that we sometimes use those interventions even kind of in that phase one time too, but really, um, you know, really that's uh, also kind of that phase two is that next step, you know, addressing that fight, fight or freeze. But then, you know, that's a, a core piece is addressing that uh, emotional piece. And so uh, therapy, a lot of people uh, confuse that with play therapy and, and play therapy is as a, as a, Clinician, I'm going to let a child play, and I'm going to interpret that play uh, to kind of get inside that child's world. Where their play is different and, and why it's so special, it's a, about relationships. It's about playing games and activities that facilitate relational connection. You know, Bruce Perry talks about that attachment behaviors are the glue of relationships. And that's what TheraPlay is. It's using the dimensions, uh, the four dimensions of TheraPlay being uh, structure, nurture, challenge, and engagement. Um, to identify activities, games um, that help facilitate an experience, a new experience, a different experience of, of an adult mm -hmm. that I can accept nurture, I can accept touch, I can accept compliments or being noticed in a new way and it to feel, uh, begin to feel safe and to have connection and to uh, begin to enjoy uh, and reconnect or connect with another human being in a way that maybe they haven't in the past. Yep. I've once heard it kind of um, related to kind of a photo album that are the kids that come to us come with this photo album of all these negative experiences mm -hmm. uh, of being abused, neglected, yelled at, what have you, whatever that individual has in their history. What our job is and, and what we try to do with our interventions is we're trying to add new photos to that album of and, and change their view of themselves and, and adults in the world around them. And that's one way we do it is through TheraPlay and TheraPlay-like activities. Um, so the, the next piece of that is DDP. And, you know, through using what Dan Hughes calls the attitude of being a uh, pace, uh, playful, accepting, curious, and empathic, um, we really began to try to connect with the student um, or, or the child in, in a, again, a new way, um, being playful, fun, um, using humor as a tool for healing. Yeah. Um, so often things are so heavy for, for the kids that come to us and so serious um, that just being a kid is hard for them, relaxing and just um, letting someone else take care of the situation. So one way we try to, to help people relax is just have fun. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think another key piece is acceptance, you know, of pace, is learning uh, for adults to be able to just accept the child where they're at in that moment. Um, it's not about accepting the behavior per se, but it's just realizing that with everything they've been through, um, that again, you, you mentioned it earlier, they're trying to tell us what's going on for them with their behaviors. And so often as, as we as, uh, as human beings, as people, we can take those behaviors as personal. You know, we can personalize them and then we kind of get in this dysfunctional pattern with, with kids of, you know, they push us away and we push them away with how we respond. Well, with acceptance, we can kind of really step back and say, I can see that you're upset, but it's not about me. It's about what you're going through and how can I as a safe adult in your life meet that need? How can I support you? Um, and we do that through being curious, like, oh, I'm noticing that you're mad. I'm, I'm curious what's that about. I'm wondering, you know, did something happen this morning? Did something happen last night? Um, and so through that process of, it's kind of a safe way of noticing what's going on for that child. And so it's not that intense of, well, what's wrong? You're mad. Or why did you do this? Yeah, it, it's really about, hmm. And so it, it kind of takes some of the pressure off. And I, that's what I really love about part of the attitude is, is that curiosity piece. And then finally, is just ha having empathy for what all of the, the, the kids that we work with and the families that we work with have been through up to this point. Uh, you know, Benet Brown talks about that sympathy drives disconnection and empathy drives connection. Yep. And so it's not that we want to have sympathy for, for the kids that we work with. It's not that Johnny's had a tough life and that, you know, we're going to let him, you know, get by with, cursing at a teacher. That's right. not what this is about, right. but it's about having empathy. It's about finding something with inside myself to try to understand what's going inside of Johnny so that we can connect on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of from the treatment side of things. What is therapy like activities and, and DDP, the use of the attitude like in the school environment? Yeah, I've had the opportunity to work in a couple different uh, school environments, both in the public private setting. And I, I really think this space, too, is what separates Chaddock uh, from other service providers and from other schools. Um, and, and the difficult thing is it's not easy. It's, it's, right. it, it's when you talk about things like the attitude or DDP um, and, and their play activities, um, sometimes they, I think they feel to our staff a little less tangible than a lot of the other behavior modification you know, yes. act, uh, activities that a lot of schools try. Um, it's easier to put, put a sticker chart together and, yep. and a token economy and things like that. That makes sense. That's pretty tangible. Um, you show somebody and they can do it. Um, a lot harder um, to teach the attitude. Right. Um, and so we do a lot of reflective supervision. We do a, a lot of modeling um, because it, it, what's of absolute crucial importance is that our staff can model appropriate emotional regulation for our kids. Um, and so... Um, so yeah, with the, the you know the attitude, like I said, we, that starts early. You're you're identifying people that just ha are high relationship, um, have a heart for the work, have a uh, you know are able to, as you said, empathize versus sympathize with our students. That um, maybe they're we're not looking for um, you know oh I've I've experienced this too, and I you you just have to empathize with the student, but also let them know that you're here to help them progress, you know, academically and therapeutically. Um, and so, and then theraplay activities. Uh, we structure these throughout our, our school day. Um, and so 
it's not uncommon to start a class period maybe with with one or two therapy like activities mm-hmm. um just and and the teachers know they can recognize in their you know five or six students that enter that classroom you know this just isn't going to go well if i just hit you know start right. right off with my english four lesson um so we need to do a couple activities kind of get everybody you know synced together um before we move forward and so we see a lot of that calling audibles and saying okay you know, I'm going to do a meditation this morning before I start this class period, or, or I'm going to do a mindful eating activity before we get started because I just need to get the kids in the here and now. Um, and then uh, we do TheraPlay activities uh, throughout the week with all of our students. We do uh, where teachers and um, uh, counselors, our therapists, um, go into a classroom together and implement a 20, 30 minute uh, TheraPlay activity um, where they have prescribed specific um, activities uh, to help um, meet each of those children's needs, but also uh, to build a relationship between not, not, you know, not just the students themselves amongst the students, but between the staff um, and the students in a not completely non-threatening environment. And so uh, we structure those. Most classrooms get at least two or three opportunities of those explicit therapy groups. Um, we, we call them sunshine circles. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our, our our staff have been trained in those. Um, and so we, we offer those throughout the week as well. So I think uh, before we kind of get into phase three, I think it's something important for us to, to kind of connect is, you know, we talked about attachment theory and the importance of relationships. And as we've been talking about phase one and phase two, these interventions that we use with, with the children and families that we work with, that attachment theory is infused without relationships, connection, trust, felt safety. Um, and, and that's really where we put legs under attachment theory is, is these interventions take this theory of, of how we as human beings can connect or, or how things can disrupt that connection. And we put legs to that and really drive home the, the ability to um, help kids connect with um, with adults, with their parents, with their families, uh, in a new way, and, and help them begin to see things so differently. Yeah. The other key thing that I think that I've been hearing both of us say is um, the magic. You know, this doesn't happen within the context of therapy, one hour, one time per week. Right. And so, even though we have wonderful clinicians here at Chaddock, we take the time. Uh, resources and invest in all of our staff being trained in attachment theory and, and what does trauma mean and how does it impact the attachment and how does our treatment model impact that you know many of our staff get uh, training in in the attitude many of our staff get trained in therapy like activities and and how to use sensory um, uh, uh, interventions and and how to use relationships as a way to connect so you know, when we think about a, a child who has experienced those, that complex trauma, they have those adverse childhood experiences when, you know, they've had those experiences over and over again. We talked about, you know, one of the things that differentiates complex trauma from other things is that chronic and ongoing. Well, they've had multiple exposures of that trauma. They've had multiple exposures of that abuse and neglect. And so it's, 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 in the cottages, working with direct care staff, it's in the school, working with the teachers and working with the pair pros again and again, day in, day out, hour after hour with these interventions coming, uh, being brought to, to these students and to these children 
every minute of every day from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed or actually even from overnight when we have a night uh, awake overnight staff where the kids can go to sleep knowing that there's a trusting caring adult mm -hmm. staying awake making sure they're safe yeah yeah so it, you know and i think that's crucial not only for the treatment of the child uh, but for our ability to successfully provide care right um you know it, it, we say a lot of the times you know our students have developed a pattern of behaviors um, that if they've had to quite honestly develop in order to survive, uh, in order to get through. And, um, and so they can be manipulative sometimes. They can, you know, try to pin one staff versus the other uh, and staff versus parent. Um, and so that communication, uh, as you said, and, and the multiple layers of, of um, uh, supports that we have here um, are crucial uh, in terms of making sure that uh, we're not allowing that you know to happen and and for us to be you know on the same page and and so it's it's not only reassuring to the client uh and to our students but it's also uh helps to for us to make to know that we are um not providing those opportunities for confusion and uh, you know manipulation things like that um again it's not i don't say that in a negative way it, it it's behaviors that have been you know developed over time in order for these students to be able to, you know, just make it through the day. Absolutely. Well, and I think the key is, is they're, they're experiencing felt safety. They're uh, experiencing relationships with adults in a new way. They're uh, better able to manage their fight, flight, or freeze response. Mm -hmm. And now they've, uh, have improved their ability to understand and manage their emotions in a new way because they have caring adults that are there to support them managing their emotions. It's kind of like, you know, uh, when you have a two-year-old, um, they can't manage their emotions on their own. They need that adult from the outside to kind of help them de-escalate, help them calm down. Well, even though we have students and, and children here that are 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, when they're really escalated, when they're really upset, often they're 18 months old, two years old. And so it's really about all that stuff, that, that relational connection, the sensory input, um, the felt safety that allows us to be present with them as the calm adult to help them calm down. And they're beginning to learn to do that on their own, which all then kind of leads to phase three mm -hmm. um, or the cortex, uh, you know, and, and them being able to access that executive function, which I know is, is a, a huge thing within kind of the, the academic educational world is, you know that executive executive functioning piece, um, and so for from the treatment uh, from the treatment side of things, the the DTAP uh, model, it really is looking at addressing the cognitive, the the more traditional talk therapy, and I think this is a key thing that separates Chadock from and, and try the, the DTAP model from other service providers is so often they start here, yep. they start with the the talk therapy, and this is the end part for us. Yep. You know, this is where we're leading up to. Um, but we understand that to, for that to be effective, and it's not that those interventions aren't effective, mm -hmm. but they're not effective with individuals who have experienced complex trauma. And so we recognize they have to have the fight, flight, or freeze response, uh, uh, have a foundation of being able to manage those effectively, able to manage their emotions effectively before they can get to a place where they can have some critical thinking abstract thinking, um, cause and effect thinking. Yep. Um, so some interventions from, you know, from the clinical side of things is trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, EMDR, 
uh, structured psychotherapy for adolescents responding to chronic stress. Um, so for, for Corey and the school, what does that kind of that top tier um, look like in the, in the classroom environment? Yeah, you know, most of our students spend a lot of time teetering between that phase one, phase two, you know, uh, the back brain, mid brain, you know, flowing back and forth. Um, it's when they get into uh, that cognitive brain, you know, that, that that's the sweet spot. That's when we can work on our academics. Right. Um, and, and, and only then can we actually make academic progress. If students are in, you know, phase one and two, if, if they're in their back brain or if they're uh, in midbrain and just emotionally not regulated, academics aren't going to happen. And I think the sooner that we can just acknowledge that as professionals and educators, um, the better um, that, that, you know, we acknowledge that we have to address this before anything academically can happen. And you're exactly right. I think too often we take the approach um, that, oh, you know, it seems like the student's having some trouble. Let's get them some counseling where in a typical school environment, that might look like them traveling down the hallway to talk with a counselor, a school social worker that they never met, um, that start asking them questions about, you know, um, you know, I, I hear you're struggling in class. Why is that? You know, what's going on at home? Um, before we've ever addressed any of the, the you know, uh, things that we're doing in phase one or two. Uh, and, and so you're exactly right. We sort of flip it on its head and say, no, we've got to address um, the sensory needs. We've got to build relationship. We've got to have trust before we can start digging into that stuff. And so um, in the school, uh, we also, we, we do um, uh, counseling groups where we, uh, more often with our, you know, middle school, high school students than probably our youngest students, but we, we dig right into the brain research and talking about, you know, this is, this is what the limbic system's like. This is um, what it looks like to be baseline for you. Um, this is what causes you to be hypo-aroused. This is what causes you to be hyper-aroused. Um, it's not uncommon for us to walk into one of our sensory rooms or a group therapy room and seeing a therapist um, just explicitly teaching some of this brain research. Um, so that's one of the things that at the school we can do once we get these students in, uh, into that phase three of the treatment model is to kind of teach them a little bit about their brain and how it works and, and what causes them to act out under certain in certain situations. And um, so, so those are the two ways I would say um, that, that we address uh, phase three in the school is, 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 you know, through those structured counseling groups where you're doing a little bit more talking uh, about what's going on than, than we do in phase one and two. Uh, but then also, that's when you pull out the Algebra 2 book and get to work because that's right. when students are actually able to make some academic progress. Absolutely. So we spent some time talking about the, the DTAP model. Uh, let's kind of shift a little bit more to the programmatic side of things. Mm -hmm. So we have a residential program. We have the special education school. They work very closely together. Um, so we have five residential cottages. Um, and again, eight to up to their 21st birthday. Um, talk a little bit about your relationship with the cottages at, from the school perspective. And how, how does that continuity work? How does that collaboratively work together to support the kids um, throughout the school day, but then when they go home yeah. in the evening back to the cottage, yeah. how does that work and, and what does that look like? Uh, it can be a, a time-consuming and labor-intensive process. Um, there are, uh, you know, we've half our student population goes home every day. They go to a parent, they might go to a foster family, 
but they're leaving our campus and going to another caregiver. Um, so that's about half our students. Uh, the other half stay here on campus and, and they have a, a therapeutic team at the cottage that, that takes care of um, them during the evenings and weekends. And so um, it's, it is, it's absolutely crucial that we stay on the same page uh, with these, these other caregivers. Uh, we talk a lot that, you know, the family is really the, the family unit is our client. Um, and so uh, we've got a couple uh, staff members at the school whose only job is to um, communicate with the parents and communicate with uh, cottage staff, communicate with DCFS caseworkers so that we are all on the same page. And, and, and that's necessary when you value the relationships and when you value the person as much as we do. Again, it's, it's a little bit more uh, complicated and a little uh, less tangible than um, sending a kid home with a behavior chart and saying, you know, first hour, you got a, you know, a star and uh, second hour and third hour, not so well. And, you know, and it is a uh, day with, you know, um, three stars or, you know, those are things that we like to do in schools that we like to right. do these sticker charts and that, um, you know, and those are ways we can communicate and, and it's easier to, I think, comprehend and to implement. Um, but when we're talking about, you know, what's really going on with these students and talking about them on a person centered level, um, requires a lot more verbal back and forth. And so, uh, I think we do a great job of that. We also have core treatment teams here at Chaddock, uh, who meet weekly. Uh, that's where school reps and cottage reps and therapists, uh, and administrators get together and talk about every one of the students in the cottage, uh, for their respective cottage. And, um, take a look at, you know, what's, what's going on, how they've been doing, how they do in comparison to last week. Um, students can make requests through that uh, team. And so everybody's on the same page at all times. Absolutely. So, um, so maybe I'll take a moment to talk a little bit about where Chaddock is and, and, you know, the kind of the physical aspect. So I think one of the great things about Chaddock and maybe even unique things is that everything is on one campus. We have 32 acre campus where our cottages and our school are on the same location. Um, which helps with that continuity and that collaboration. Um, we're in West Central Illinois, and it's right in the middle of a small town um, of about 40,000, Quincy, Illinois. And you know, so I think one of the unique and great things about for our older students is that they get the ability to, to improve their uh, fight, flight, or freeze response. They're improving their ability to regulate their emotions. They're addressing some of the, the cognitive uh, issues where they're, you know, maybe have some skewed perceptions, skewed thoughts that they're addressing. But then we have a wonderful community here mm -hmm. where they actually get to go out and practice those skills in real life in a small, safe uh, town and really, you know, to work towards moving back home. It's not, you know, it's not like being in a large city. You know, they, it's really a place where they can begin to stretch themselves and challenge themselves. Um, I know from the school perspective, you know, that that's a huge piece too, is that community connection and, and some of the opportunities to even go to the public school if yeah. they get to a place. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Quincy really supports Chaddock and our mission. Um, and, you know, there are a couple ways we see that. Uh, and, and our, our uh, collaboration and relationships with um, local school districts is a prime example. Um, you know, we talk a lot of times in education about least restrictive environment. And our ultimate goal is to educate students in the least restrictive environment. You know, we sort of pride ourselves here at Chaddock and, and that we're not a, we are a restrictive environment, but the kids who come here have a real opportunity to get some um, leading edge, uh, you know, treatment. Um, and so once we've made progress with these students, 
we do want to get them back into the, the less restrictive environment. And one of the ways we do that is to partner with our local school districts so that um, if a student, you know, has, has been with us maybe a semester and, or, or a year and, and they're ready to maybe make some progress and, and go to the public schools for, for an hour or two a day, we do that. We bring the public schools in uh, and have a great relationship with them. And we can get that student maybe a class or two over at the local high school. Um, maybe after a quarter, we increase their day to half a day. Um, we also, you know, work with the, the local high school to get our students some opportunities that we don't have being a smaller um, educational uh, institution, uh, such as some of the Bowtech classes and things like that, right. uh, fine arts classes. Uh, we have lots of students who take advantage of those opportunities. We certainly have opportunities like that at our school, but uh, when students are, you know, hitting their junior, senior year of high school, and they're really wanting to, you know, transition into adulthood, um, it is, there are some benefits to, to them getting those experiences. Um, yeah, another way we, you know, utilize our uh, community sports is uh, through uh, workforce development. Through, you know, a lot, all of our high school students have transition plans. Um, and so we have some staff over at the school who work really closely with local um, employment, um, grocery stores and, and um, things like that, and the local uh, Humane Society, where we get some students some real life experiences um, that are gonna help uh, prep them. Um, you know, for post-secondary. And a lot of our students take advantage of our local community college. Um, so they, you know, maybe they've earned all their high school credits, they still need a little treatment um, on the therapeutic side. We can keep them here and get them um, enrolled in some classes over at uh, the community college so that they're able to actually uh, leave here, you know, sometimes even ready for the workforce. Right, yeah. awesome. Well, I, I see that we're quickly uh, running out of time. So, um, I think, I think the next thing is that I'm thinking about is some of the folks that are heard, who are joining us today might be wondering how they can get a little deeper knowledge about what the DTAP model is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think one thing that it could be a resource for those of you who might be interested is that Chaddock put out a book called Attachment Theory in Action. Um, it was an edited book by um, our Director of Strategic Planning, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, and our President and CEO, Debbie Breed. And it, you know, uh, we, we've worked with clinicians and, and professionals from all over the countries, all over the world, really. And we've had, and they contributed to this book and, and helping us to kind of conceptualize and operationalize what it is to take this theory of attachment theory and apply it in a, a residential setting, in a, in a school setting, and really put legs under this theory and, and uh, make it an impactful um, intervention. Yep. Um, the other piece is, uh, you know, that Karen has a podcast um, called Att Attachment Theory in Action, and that's available on iTunes and Android uh, podcast services. Um, so I think, uh, finally, um, I want to make sure that people are aware that we have some Facebook uh, opportunities if they're interested. Um, we have two Facebook groups. One is um, Attachment-Based Therapist. Um, that if you're interested in, in kind of connecting in the clinical world, uh, would be a great place. And if you're, or if you're an educator and you want to find out a little bit more about what we're doing with our trainings or with you know how we apply trauma-informed attachment-based uh, interventions in the school setting, uh, the trauma-informed schools. Uh, Facebook page is a great place to, to kind of join in and dialogue with us on that. And then, of course, we have our Facebook pages, uh, Chaddock and the Knowledge Center uh, at Chaddock. Thanks for joining us at the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. We hope you enjoyed listening and invite you to visit us online at thenowledgecenteratchaddock.com or on social media, 
including our Facebook group, Trauma-Informed Schools.